Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Flory. All right, Monday, May 13th, 2019, episode 201 of the Anik and Florian podcast. UFC 237 is in the can. Ken Flo, you know I love these Brazilian people so much. I miss having you down there. But fuck if it is not good to be back in the United States of America. <laughs> I imagine, dude. Listen, it, it's the flying, right? Just being off your routine, missing your family, all that stuff is, is really tough, man, especially on Mother's Day. But uh, you're a champ, and you got through it. You're back. I was going to say it's it's hard, when you're, especially when you're not like a tough guy, right? You know, I'm trying to get <laughs> physically and mentally tougher every, every day of my life. But uh, we went straight from the arena to the airport so as to catch a flight to Sao Paulo, to get to Miami on Sunday night so I could you know, kiss my wife on Mother's Day. So here we are. Um, it's good to see you, as always. A ton of things to get to, obviously. UFC 237 was wild. Uh, Ken Flo's got five picks for you today on UFC Fight Night. Dos Anjos versus Lee, which is coming up at Rochester, New York. You know, I'm glad I don't have to make, like, five, seven MMA picks every week and make it on Monday, no less, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, heaven forbid we give you, like, a week to marinate on this. You know, you can barely watch the pay-per-view, and we're asking you to break down Rochester at nine o'clock on on on, a, on an LA Monday morning. Always barraging me, bro, with picks, and, and it's the, the it's like the the least favorite thing since I, I know, started doing I it. I, I hate it, and Anik knows it, and he just does it just to kind of <laughs> put a little knife on my back. No, well, listen, I'll break down fights all day, but predictions yeah. it's like a whole different monster. So right. I, I hate it for many reasons. All right, well, uh, and one other thing I want to say off the top, and yeah, if you can figure out, I guess, a different way to go about the main event challenge flow, then by all means, no, we, no, uh, I don't. our ears are open, but I don't want to jinx anything off the top, but we did have a few audio issues for our 200th episode, yes. so of all episodes, right, our audio kind of failed us a little bit, it was a Wi-Fi issue. 
flow sounds fucking great this morning. So we are holding out hope that this is going to sustain over the course of the episode. I probably should have just kept my fat mouth shut. Uh, but we have a new UFC strawweight champion. And for Jessica Andrade, I know the Europeans don't like when I use the word winningest, right? But she is the winningest women's fighter in UFC history. No other woman has 11 UFC wins, and she puts a capstone uh, uh, on it and on what has been a great career thus far by winning the strawweight title. And certainly on a Monday, Ken Flo, they're talking about the way she did it as she ends Rose Namajunas's reign uh, with a pile drive slam that, that knocked Rose out cold. Yeah, listen, uh, before we start getting about the, you know, getting into the actual finish, um, you know, listen, it wasn't going too well for her. And, and the fact yeah, that man. she was able to battle back from adversity and show that kind of toughness um, through taking a lot of shots from Rose, Rose Namajunas, I thought was very impressive. Um, she is tough. She is powerful. And, and that ultimately is what got her the win here against Rose Namajunas. Um, and uh, I thought it was a fantastic fight to start. Uh, one one of the more excited, uh, one of the more uh, exciting fights I think of yeah, the man. night. Um, I thought it was very technical from both fighters. Excellent adaptations uh, from both fighters, and uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. Rose Namajunas looked like an absolute ninja assassin out huh. there. Just looked so sharp, doing what a very few fighters in the UFC, man or woman, do. Period. Uh, the ability to stick and move, get out, utilize her reach forwards and backwards. I was really impressed with Rose Namajunas. This was a sharper Rose Namajunas than we've even seen in the past. Uh, and, and that's as good as she looked against Ioana young Jacek. She was even better here against Andrade. Yeah, I thought those first five minutes, as I said to her in the post-fight interview, uh, that a lot of people are criticizing me for even doing. But I said to her, that was the best five minutes that we've ever seen you and who better to sum it up uh, than you. So yes, I agree. It was Rose Namajunas's fight. And I think that's why, you know, my appetite is for a rematch. And obviously I don't want to get ahead of myself because there's a lot to dissect before we get there, but it doesn't sound like Rose Namajunas is coming back anytime soon. But for Andrade, you know, certainly not a lifetime achievement award for her. I think she's the younger fighter in this equation. No, she's not. So Rose is 26 and will be 27 in June. Jessica Andrade is 27 years old. Okay. But this was a fighter, obviously, Kenny Andrade, who had success at Bantamweight. A lot of people expected that once she went down to strawweight, she, she would be a perennial contender type, if not champion. I'm so happy for, for this individual and this person. She is such a good human being, and that she made a lot of money this night, and she's going to make a lot of money in her next title defense, which is just so wonderful. Uh, but if, if our listeners don't know, her nickname, Batea Staka, uh, translation, pile driver right and she got that nickname because she was disqualified for doing that in a jiu-jitsu match what she did on saturday night in the octagon absolutely uh was legal and she deserves credit for it i certainly have my concerns about this going forward because i've always thought this was this was the most dangerous move in mma in terms of you know a fatality or paralysis things like that um but talk us through it ken flo the kimura uh defense if you will everything that sort of encapsulated this slam for andrage and for rose yeah sure thing you know um in regards to the move, why it wasn't illegal was because Rose Namajunas had the choice to let go of the submission. You know, I, I think they deemed it that Rose was going for a submission. She was in that Kimura lock. Um, she had, uh, you know, Andrash in that position. She was setting it up. So she had the choice to let go. It, it wasn't like Andrash picked her up on her own doing uh, and then spiked her on her head. 
it was Rose Namajunas going for a submission. She had the ability to let go of it, and that's why it wasn't illegal. It was a legal move by Andrade. And, you know, for Rose, she has two choices here. She could either let go of the Kimura lock, right? She ends up be- becoming safe there uh, and-, and can't be spiked on her head. Or she should be sitting with her butt down to the floor, either going for a suma geishi where she's rolling to her back and kicking her over her head, almost like a sacrifice throw, or just getting to the mat um, you know where she can set up a, a different kind of, of Kimura, but getting your body as low to the pos- uh, as low as possible to the mat makes it extremely difficult for that fighter to pick you up and slam you. Right. And I think Rose Namajunas taking that lackadaisical approach um, in the earlier part of the fight where she did you know, almost yes. get slammed there. Yep. I think, you know, almost gave her that false sense of security. Like, ah, you know, this isn't a big deal. I loved her calmness there, but at the same time, you need to know your limits as a human and understand that if you're getting picked up over your head, over someone's head, that is not a good thing. It is something yeah, you right, don't want right. to do or get used to doing in training, in a fight, in self-defense. Those are just way too dangerous of a setup and way too dangerous of an approach. So I, I hate saying this kind of thing because Andrade obviously did the right thing here as far as the counter. But Ro- And again, I hate saying this because of my um, respect and admiration for Rose Namajunas. Sure. Rose Namajunas lost the fight. In that regard, she had the ability to let go of this move. I don't know if Andrade won this fight as much as Rose Namajunas lost this because Rose was in control. She was doing a great job. She had the ability to let go of this Kimura lock. She already experienced what could happen to her earlier in the fight, and she didn't adapt. And that's what makes it so unfortunate. I think what, what made a lot of people upset as well. We give you 10 takes. You couldn't have summarized your thoughts any better. Nicely done. TJ DeSantis tweeted over the weekend a... Uh, 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 what is it? A GIF, Kenny? Is that what they call it? Yes. A GIF? Yes, it's sir. Not a GIF. It's a GIF. GIF. Right. Yeah. I mean, I am every bit forty. I mean, imagine <laughs> when we're fucking fifty. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> TJ tweeted over the weekend a GIF of a slam in mixed martial arts that was illegal, and I mean that's hard to watch. TJ, what fight was that, and uh, and what was it? It was the angle that made it illegal, I assume. Yeah, it was uh, from uh, a Pride FC match between Bob Sapp and Minotaur Noguera, and uh, Noguera shoots in on Bob Sapp's legs. Sapp sprawls, and, oh. and Sapp was 350 pounds of just dominant muscle. Like, they called him the Beast. There's no more appropriate nickname for that man, and... Uh, he picks up Noguera and slams him on his head. Now the funny Pile thing is, him. yeah, the funny thing is, it wasn't called as an illegal uh, slam. Why? Because Japan, for the most part. But if yeah. there's any slam that I've ever seen in mixed martial arts history that was clearly targeting, uh, you know, the the spine and neck uh, of someone, it was definitely uh, that one. And uh, yeah, I, I I struggle to really remember a time we've ever seen. Uh, a slam be called, uh, you know, spiking and and have a, a, a foul or a point uh, deducted for it. It just it very rarely happens in MMA. You know, I, I kind of consider that a little bit more of the modern mixed martial arts error for me because I've been watching it since day one. But that was the first time I've ever been legitimately scared for a fighter watching yeah. a modern mixed martial arts fight. I always use that example of Bob Sapp trying to pile drive the legend Minotauro into the mat head first. I mean, it was frightening. 
So if that was the first time you were scared in modern day mixed martial arts, would you say that this weekend was the last time or were you not scared this weekend? I, I was desperate. Um, again, not necessarily because of the knockout, but because of the neck, as you mentioned. I mean, that is a, a great way for someone to get seriously injured or paralyzed. Um, and those are the kind of moves that we just have to be extremely careful with as fighters. And again, uh, it, it, you know, Rose kind of did that to herself in a lot oh, right. of ways, and and that really, really concerned me. And again, uh, I, I've made a million mistakes in mixed martial arts fight. We make mistakes all the time, um, and sometimes you know we we think we're invincible or, or or not aware of what you know certain people can do to counter our moves. Right. Uh, but that was a a tremendous lesson not only for Rose Namunas but for every mixed martial arts uh, fighter out there who likes going for Kimuras to counter takedowns. What's scary, and and it's scary for fighters like Jessica Andrade who go for slams and just yeah. had the win of her life, and immediately she's concerned about the not sure. just immediate but maybe long-term well-being of her opponent, Thug Rose Namajunas. But obviously in this case, the submission is being attempted, so it doesn't even matter the angle on which she brings her down, right? Because Rose is locked in on the Kimura, Andrade is able to slam her at the Sat Minotauro angle, right? So Absolutely. that's scary too, right? So obviously this is a learning lesson, I think, for a lot of fighters. But yeah, Kenny, I, I've always been worried about slams and things like this more than, you know, knee strikes. And, and I know it's all dangerous and, and I think the rule is fine the way it is. I mean, I don't, I don't think that this is going to affect change and you're going to all of a sudden eliminate slams. But, uh, you know, hopefully this is something the fighters can learn from because, uh, you know, that's as, as concerned as I've been uh, sitting in that seat for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was frightening. And again, I, I think there's very few people in the 115-pound women's division that can pull something off like that. Yeah. Andrade was one of them. And and I think when we were talking about this, you know, if Andrade was going to get a finish, it was going to be something like this. She is so powerful and so explosive. And these are the physical tools that should always be respected. You know, Rose Namajunas was absolutely the more technical fighter. But you cannot forget about uh, the, these kind of physical gifts that can absolutely get the finish. So, uh, scary moment there, I think, for, for everybody. I'm glad Rose is okay. Um, it, it's a hard lesson to learn and a hard way to lose your belt there. Uh, but, um, uh, what a dramatic fight. I mean, talk about, um, you know, a, a turn of events there. Wow. All right. We will, uh, get to what is next for Jessica Andrade in a moment. That was a quick 10 minutes or so off the top of the show, but you don't keep a good man waiting. Let's get to Ray Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Ken Flo. So I had forgotten who Longo had picked in the Nama Yunus Andrade fight. So I had to actually go back to the audio from last week's 200th episode to find his prediction. Probably should have known he was on the wrong side because that has certainly been the trend. The great Ray Longo now joins us live. Ray, good morning. Oh, my God. I was listening to you talk about that fight, but... Uh, and I, I agree with uh, whatever I agree with what Kenny was saying, but man, I talk about a perfect first round, though. I mean, Amazing. just the footwork and the punching and balance, and I wanted to give her a ten-eight just because I thought it was you couldn't do any better in that round. You know what I mean? But uh, like Kenny says, you have to respect uh, you know the uh, attributes of, you, of your opponent, and uh, you know what it was, what it was. But what a to me that that fight was worth you know paying sixty dollars for. That's why I, I thought it was that good of a fight, and 
uh, was just great. And I just hope, you know, Rose is all right. And, you know, I can't believe how strong that other girl is. Yeah, Ray, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Rose Namunas was looking just fantastic. Uh, it's just such a sharp performance. What do you yeah. tell a fighter? What do you tell a fighter after something like that? When you know, I, I don't know if you, you've experienced where you, one of your fighters has dominated the whole fight, and then one quick move by the other guy, they get the win. What do you tell a fighter there? I mean, that, Man, that's a no, tough way. That's a, a tough way to look, lose. You know, you just have to uh, go back and reevaluate. And, you know, at that point, you can't change anything. You know what I mean? So you, all you could do is, you know, learn from it and try to correct where you think the problem was. It was kind of, not not the totally, because it was, you know, it was a close fight. But I thought Chris, like, even in the Jocko Ray fight, was just doing perfect. He was jabbing the guy. He was, you know, countering some nice stuff. And then he just got caught, you know. So... Yeah. Uh, I think you try to take away the positives and, and you know, you correct, you know, exactly what happened with Rose. Like, you know, you got to let the arm go. Look, Kenny, it's like, I don't know if this, this doesn't happen anymore, but, you know, you put a guy in a triangle and the guy lifts you up and he slams right. you on your head. Now, you could let go with a triangle. Like, exactly. Like guys want to hold on because they want to prove they can hold on and submit you, but then when it doesn't go their way, they're like, I mean, I've done this like 10 times in the gym where guys don't let go of shit and, you know, yeah. They and you get, can't slam in training, on. right? In, in training, uh, your, your training partner isn't really trying to hurt you. So I think I think you're right. That's a great point is you get used to doing it in training in some ways and think that it's going to go that exact same way in a fight. Exactly. Someone's exactly. really trying to hurt you. Yeah, yeah, because I've seen that a million. It just reminds me of I could come up with 20 times in my head where a guy held on to a triangle and, you know, you know he doesn't hook the leg or whatever, and the guy just picks him up and, you know, at that point, it should be okay. Look, I got you up in the air. Let go, but they don't, and then it's always a disaster. So, anyway, it sounds like, I don't know. It sounds but I like thought it at, was a uh, phenomenal fight. Kenny, it sounds like at Longo Weidman MMA, they're allowed to slam and train. Oh, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, man, you might not be allowed to, but it, it happens. Let me tell you, I have seen it a lot of times, and it never goes well. For I mean, it's a fist fight at that point, you know. Yeah. Oh, I imagine. <laughs> So uh, I hate to hit you with the heavy stuff, but for Rose Namajunas, you know, sometimes in life, sometimes in life when you accomplish a professional goal and things seem to fall in place the way you've outlined, it doesn't end up all it's cracked up to be or good as you expected it to be. And I think that can be depressing. And, and we all have some mental issues and I think some obviously yeah. much more severe than others. Um, but for Rose, I think in this sort of endless pursuit of happiness, Maybe she hasn't figured out exactly or crystallized what is going to make her happy. I just know there are parts of this job as a fighter for her uh, that that she could really do without. I mean, how much did you follow that sort of storyline, you know, during and after this fight? Yeah, no, I followed it a little bit, and I, my heart goes out to her. But, um, you know, I'm going to tell you, this is a sport, especially when you become a champion. If you're not grounded, all your insecurities, everything's going to come out, man. That, that, you get into that octagon, it's, it's a magnifying glass on any little, you know, weirdness you might have. You know what I mean? So it's, I, I feel for it. And a lot of people, they're just not ready for it. And, you know, we have a story, we, we see it all the time. You know, if somebody becomes a champion and everybody's looking for a handout, you're getting calls from, uh, people that you used to know and they want to open up a business for you. It's, it's, it's torture. It, it could be torture to the wrong people. I just had this conversation with Matt. We were talking about, 
you know, I think somebody uh, that he used to work for when he was a kid, he became the champ, and he hadn't even seen the guy. The guy called him up, and, yeah, they could open up a pizza party. I mean, he pitched him on an idea. It's just, it's it's endless, man. So uh, I hope she didn't have to go through a lot of the stuff that I'm even talking about, but there's other responsibilities and there's other stuff that comes with being a champion. It's just really, if you're not surrounded by great people and, you know, you that help you navigate through some of this stuff, or you're a little delicate in certain areas, it's, it's a rough go. It's definitely yeah. a rough go. Absolutely. And not to mention, you know, all the other media obligations that you have to do. You know, yeah. when you're the champ, it's the TV shows and the magazines that want to talk to you at being the champ. So that's taking away from your ability to train and and all that stuff. So yeah. absolutely, gotta, you know, that's a I, part of it Vinny, as well. Got, let me just interrupt you for a second. And I, and I really believe this, man. I got to say that I believe some people lose just to say, like, fuck you, now leave me alone. I'm not the champ anymore, you see? You know, they just want to go back to being who they were. I believe subconsciously it, it can get into your head. Although, again, with her, was what was weird to me is she had a phenomenal first round. Even in those scrambles, man, she was vicious. She was attacking, you know, like... You saw the, uh, even when she knocked it down with the knee, the way she pursued her on the ground, I mean, it was, that didn't look like a person that wanted to lose, like, you know, for sure. Right. I mean, Absolutely. She was pitching, and but, yeah, and Ray, I, I think that's exactly what she was feeling, to be honest. I, I think you nailed it. I think she does have that kind of sentiment, or, or that's what comes across to me in, in her interview, um, and, and what she says is, she kind of does want to be left alone. When you are the champ, all eyes are on you. Everyone's waiting for your next fight and all that. And people love to watch Rose compete and fight. And I think she's uncomfortable with that as well. You know, well, right. being in that that's, that's a big part of it. And and my read on it, having sat down with her Thursday and, and called her last few fights, is that it's not necessarily the media obligations and the spotlight because it's very easy for her to turn a lot of those things down. And I think she does. It's... It's what you're saying in the fight night itself, right? Like I said, as she was walking, when she was in the locker room before the Ioana rematch, she made her own hands bleed with tension. Trevor Whitman thought that a commissioner might not let her fight because he was going to deem her to be mentally unstable. She is bat battling demons in the locker room and yeah, getting ready yeah. for these fights. And I just don't know if sort of the end justifies the means. I think for her, she's like, man, if I got to deal with all this miserable stuff and try to battle all these mental emotions before the fight, you know, I just don't want to deal with this stuff. And therefore, you know, maybe my, exactly. my lifetime in this game is short. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't prove it. But, I mean, I, I know I've seen even some of my guys lose fights that I, I believe was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're just getting tortured on the outside. It's just They're just done. They just they don't want it anymore, and it's uh, it's it's tricky. That's why I say I use the word grounded. You really have to be really really grounded. This is a real that's a lot to handle, and you know uh, she obviously she's a sweet kid. Everybody loves her. Everybody likes to watch her fight, but something's going on somewhere where she can't overcome it. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but I just hope she's all right. She, she seems well, she like, a, can, like, again, she she interviews as such a sweet kid, so I just hope that, that she's all right. Well, from a performance standpoint, that's the thing. She can overcome it. She fought brilliantly against Ioana. To your point, she came out and fought a great first oh, round. So the issue I'm isn't you, That was one of the, the best first rounds I've ever seen by anybody. 
Yeah, that's what Kenny said off the top of the show. I mean, yeah. next level stuff, like high level mixed martial arts. But no, that's yeah, the right, performance that was, that was beautiful to watch. That she was that looked like that looked like a person in the zone. If you want to know what the zone looks like, that's yeah, what it exactly. looks like. Just everything, getting the reads on everything, everything going perfect. Uh, man, the jab was perfect. She was following with the right hand, the footwork going to. Footwork to your right, footwork go to your left, going in, always punching and yeah. balance. I, 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 like again, I, I didn't even see the whole card. I, I caught it late, but to me, that fight was worth the whole, the whole, uh, whatever, sixty dollars, whatever yeah. it was to, to purchase it. I, I was really happy. I, I thought that fight was phenomenal. Yeah, no, it was unbelievable, and I think that's why uh, a lot of people hope that uh, she can get over what what ails her and, and fight on because. You know, if she's not the best straw weight in the world still, she's right there with Jessica Andrade and Ioana Ian J. Chuck and, and Tatiana Suarez need to answer off anyone else you want to throw in that mix. All right, we will uh we'll get more on Ken Flo on the other side of that, but a couple things before we let you go. I'm 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 throwing heaters today, you know, no uh, or curveballs, I guess is the expression. I got I got questions that you're not expecting today. Aljamain <laughs> Sterling, Pedro Munoz, there's bad blood now, Ray. Yeah, I, I think I heard something. Well, what was the bad blow? Because well, it just you know, Aljo is sort of resurfacing. Uh, you know, the PED stuff with Pedro. I think Pedro had a USADA issue back in the day. Right. Um, I don't know if he was suspended, but I think the general consensus was that he was cleared of any real wrongdoing. And he obviously did a lot of media as a guest fighter down in Rio, and and he has legitimate emotion now and anger towards Aljo for rehashing this stuff and bringing it back to the surface. Aljo has tweeted that he wants USADA to, to test him for EPO and whatever else, and I'm just saying, as somebody who's calling this fight, I like that there is now underlying friction to uh, to Sterling v. Munoz June 8th. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want me to comment? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. See, I knew. I was I trying to ask you a question oh, no, no, that you would I give me nothing I on. I, I don't know why... I mean, I think Aljo has legitimate concerns with the uh, with USADA with that, and I, I I don't know what's the other guy complaining about. What's what's his side of it though? I don't get his side. Well, that I guess was, we'll. He was uh, innocent. I'll do some research to get you the uh, the the real details <laughs> for next week. Uh, Kenny, what am I? I don't even know what I'm listening to. But, but talk <laughs> about like you see, you know, you were talking about like uh, you know steroids and performance enhancing drugs, and I'm not saying anything, but. See, that was a case like even the other night. I, I'm not saying anything, but if that girl was on something and she mustered up that extra strength to get that lift, see, that's where it gets dangerous, right. man. She's and been, yeah, that, but she's been I'm, tossing people. Absolutely. I mean, I, I understand, you know, some people, are, but she's been tossing people on her head since she was 15 years old. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, but it, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even remotely. I'm saying, but I that's know. a situation where you get strength. And you right. could lift somebody up if it if that was the case that that becomes. Uh, I just segued into that off of the Pedro thing. I wasn't. I just uh, it made me think of like PEDs and. You well, know, no, and I, I did look it up, and I do know. stand corrected a little bit. Um, elevated levels of testosterone. Uh, he admitted to using a couple supplements that uh, that may have elevated it, but not uh, outside the yeah, legal so limit. He, uh, he was he suspended one year retroactively, Seriously. had a win change to a no contest, but he yeah. screamed innocence from the rooftops almost immediately, and at least for me, right. that's what I like to well, see who, when well, a guy who has it? Who hasn't claimed innocence? A lot of people. The, the, the people who aren't innocent don't scream from the rooftops right away, man. I mean, yeah. I'm, hey, I... I'm just saying, like, when when all of a sudden Pedro pops and he has no idea why, 
right? It's not like he's shooting testosterone in his ass, you know? Maybe he's trying to gain an advantage. I'm not sitting here saying that he wasn't necessarily, but, yeah. you know, his reaction made me think he was innocent, you know? Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, God, when, all, when, when a, a guy pops in. Never, ever, John, will you get that job. <laughs> <laughs> and oh yeah, and uh, well, see that's good. See now I'm now I'm really playing it even handedly, right? I'm trying to defend the guy that I mean, Joe's fighting. No, uh, I can't wait to I see mean, that fight. And I was really we should do. Let's just brush it under the rug like it never happened. <laughs> that's what we'll do for you on the broadcast. Okay, I'll do that for you on the broadcast. Okay. All right, my man. <laughs> I hope I no, was of I... some help. Today. Actually, what I do have written down is that uh, Aljo, there were definitely emotions, for lack of a better word, for, for the Jimmy Rivera fight, and he performed brilliantly. So I think for Aljamain Sterling, not only do I think he's a future world champion, I really do, but I just love everything about Aljo. I think mentally, even when there is a little bit of friction, he rises to the occasion even more so. So you got a special yeah, and fighter. I, and and I'll I think tell you why he does helped. that, because trust me, in his head, there's not really friction. I think he just does yeah, he's having a good time. He's not—he's not a malicious guy, so he's not carrying that into the right. ring. He might, you know, be funny on uh, social media, but he's just not that guy. You know what I mean? That's why I say, even right. with, with all of these guys, they're—you know—Aljo's arguments are funny. I like when he comes back with stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the hell he's talking about. So, but he's not like a malicious where you see him angry, and he—he just—he's—he's—he's more of a thinker. He's more cerebral. You yeah, know, so no, he's he, the, when you read what he's writing, <laughs> in his head, it means something, you know, so I don't know. No, it's good, though. Right. No, good. that's, he's, he is, he's the total package. He really is. And I think yeah, that, he's, uh, he's a good I think if anybody's angry, obviously he made Pedro angry and maybe that was part of his mission. So mission accomplished. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, I won't get a, a Rafael Dos Anjos, Kevin Lee prediction from you, even though it would make all the sense in the world, seeing as you have twice prepared Al for him. Um, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, so we'll let you go. Have a great week. <laughs> All right, guys, take it easy. Thanks, Greg. Oh, I see, I thought, see, I thought he'd give us a prediction. You have nothing, huh? Do you know who's favored? Daniels, and trust me, anybody listening, pick exactly the opposite of whatever the hell I say. <laughs> we'll see what happens at 170. It should be, I'm, I'm looking forward to that fight, too, though. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, have a great week. Thanks for your time. As always, you're the best. We'll talk to you in less All than right. seven days. Take it easy, guys. Bye. All right, sounded like Rafael Dos Anjos was the prediction there for Ray Longo. Ken Flo's audio cut out there for a minute. Motherfucker, we're trying to work on it. But, uh, TJ, <laughs> don't you dare cut that motherfucker out of the show either. <laughs> All right, more on UFC 237 here in a moment. First, this, though, from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2017 alone, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you're riding in taxis and use ride-sharing services, too. Cops are also on the lookout and writing tickets, so why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. So, Kenflo, we, we touched on some of the mental stuff there with Rose Nama Yunus, and 
this was the first time she had ever been knocked out. You know, it'll be interesting to see how she sort of responds to this. And I do think that this might light a good type of fire in terms of her wanting to return to competition. I think for purposes of Andrade and the division, we're going to proceed as if they're not going to do an, an immediate rematch. Because even though on the strength of what Nami Yunus did in, in taking out Yeon Jacek, uh, the greatest champion this division has ever seen twice, and then that first round against Andrade, We've seen a lot of fighters get immediate rematches. This is an era of immediate rematches. I would think Nama Yunus would be as deserving as anyone, but she ain't fighting in three or four months here, and maybe Andrade will, depending on how the rest of 2019 shakes out. Big fight June 8th, Tatiana Suarez, Nina Ansaroff, Michelle Waterson, number seven in the world, was brought to Rio de Janeiro, but that might have just been uh, coincidental rather than strategic. Your thoughts on title defense number one for the new champion, Bate Astaka? Well, uh, I would say this. I I think you're right that a rematch is warranted. Um, you know, Andrade had her moments, but really it was a dominant performance from Rose Namajunas. Um, but if I'm Rose Namajunas, I wait for for maybe things to play out for a couple reasons. Yeah. First, you got to let Rose recover uh, and get a hundred percent healthy, coming off of what you know seems to be some kind of concussion or some kind of knockout, right? So she needs to get healthy. Um, Nina Ansaroff uh, and Tatiana Suarez, two excellent grapplers. Um, I, I think you let them fight. Perhaps you let them, the, the winner of that fight, fight Andrade first. Yeah. Then you fight the winner of those guys. Let them kind of cancel each other out. Those are a lot of uh, excellent fighters going at it right there. Maybe you let that play out and then uh, fight for the belt. But, um, you know... Uh, Interesting situation there. Tatiana Suarez, by far the best wrestler in the division. Nina Ansaroff can wrestle as well, but she's very dangerous on the ground uh, with her submission game. Also has improved a tremendous amount with her striking. So uh, that's another fantastic fight in that division. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Ansaroff has prepared for this right fight, right? Because to me, it's almost like you got to just do all wrestling and all cardio, right? I mean, I would right. think it's just got to be all wrestling and all cardio for 12 weeks. Try to be in the absolute best shape of your life, uh, knowing that you have the advantage on the feet. Try to keep it there in some capacity. But yeah, I mean, for Suarez, right? It's like she, she has a lot of Habib qualities and a lot of people envision her at some point fighting for that title and if she gets by answer off i think she will probably be the title challenger the other name in this uh is the fighter who i think was one of the biggest winners who didn't compete on saturday night yoana yun jacek right i mean she needed this nama Yunus reign to end she's got a five round title defense win over jessica andrage her flyweight title fight against valentina shevchenko uh wasn't terrible but didn't go all that well any appetite for uh for Yon Jacek Andrade too, despite the fact that Yoana is without a win at 115 in a little bit here. Uh, listen, I, I think, you know, uh, um, for Yoana Young Jacek, that was the first person that I thought of after that fight because uh, she wasn't going to get a rematch against Rose Namajunas after losing twice. She was in a very similar position to Jose Aldo, who I'm sure we're going to talk about later, who lost to Holloway uh, two times in a row there. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, for Yoana Young Jacek, she came out here maybe the biggest victor because she does have a win over Andrade, uh, and there's a new champion in that division, and you know she has a shot at maybe getting that fight as well. I think you'd either have to do the rematch with Rose or get the winner of uh, Ansaroff and, and Suarez first. I don't know if you can just throw Yuana Young-Jacek in there yet. I, I think she needs to fight 
one and then maybe get back into the title picture. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Watterson and Ian Jacek, so maybe they put the two of them together, and uh, I do think Ansaroff Suarez winners getting a title fight. Yeah. Uh, co-main event, Anderson Silva loses to Jared Cannonier. Cannonier feeling out-process in round one, but really was getting the better of the exchanges on the feet, and then obviously TKO's Anderson Silva, the leg kick injuring the spider. Uh, a lot of different ways we can go with this, Kenny. I don't know how much you saw of the post-fight interview. I have never heard boos like that in my entire life. Like, it felt like they were booing me standing in there with Jared Cannonier. Uh, and I was just going to sort of let it go, and it did not die down anytime soon. Uh, your thoughts on, on Cannonier Silva and everything thereafter? Well, it was kind of offensive, right? It's like, oh, so, oh sorry, sorry for winning, guys. My I bad. Know, I know. My bad. I should have <laughs> let him beat the living shit out of me for you. Sorry, Brazil. My B, uh. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. It was like, come on, guys. I get yeah. it. Anderson Silva, he's a legend. You love him. But it doesn't mean you have to completely disrespect the guy for going out there and fighting his heart out. I mean, yeah. you know, he showed a lot of respect to Anderson Silva as well. It wasn't like, you know, he was, mal- you know, like trash talking right, right. and disrespected him after the fight he's trying to do his best as a mixed martial artist and, and if you know jared cannonier he, he, he seems like you know one of the nicer guys but i get it emotions getting involved but uh for cannonier i mean uh, what an opportunity for him there facing anderson silva again this is what every single fighter wants to face a legend to make yeah. your name off of beating that person uh, and, uh, you know, I-, I was a little bit uh, worried for Anderson Silva at-, at this point in his career, 43 years old, taking on Jared Cannonier, a guy who just hit so dang hard and has looked very, very tough and strong at 185 pounds. Um, I think it was Cannonier's fight to lose. Uh, and-, and man, did he make a name uh, off of Anderson Silva here? And even though Jared Cannonier is 35 years old, there are not a lot of MMA miles on the tank, but it's a young man's game, right? I was talking to Michael Bisping on the post-fight set when we were off the air. It's like, do you think if Anderson Silva gets kicked on the inside of that right leg at 24 years old that he's buckling over? The man's going to be 50 in six years. You know what I mean? It's like there's this expectation that even though he has some superhuman tendencies that that somehow he can overcome that. He's still 44, kid. Oh yeah, that's sorry. I said I said forty three, forty four. You're you're correct. That's right. So yeah, yeah, at forty four. Not only forty four, but a forty four year old who's been doing combat sports his whole life. So that's that's right. a little different. It's not right. only forty four years old. You're right. not going to feel great at forty four, but after doing combat sports, uh, a major compound fracture in your leg, or yeah. you know, like all those things that we've had to deal with as mixed martial artists, it takes its toll on your body. Believe me. It's, he's been an MMA pro since 1997. That's more more than half of his life has been as a, yeah. as a pro MMA fighter. I think for Cannoneer, it was just like the perfect storm, right? It was the fifth straight loss by a Brazilian at that point of the night. So even though they had some success earlier on, Little Nog lost to Ryan Spann, then Betch Cohea lost to Irene Aldana, Tiago Alves, Jose Aldo, and then Silva. So it was five straight losses. It was like... Three o'clock in the fucking morning, and they were just like, you know what, Jared Cannonier, you can go fuck yourself. But <laughs> hey, Cannonier, it's interesting because he's on a really good trajectory right now. And just sort of in closing on him, I think Jacare Souza is the fight. Jacare turned down that fight uh, for this card and ended up circumstantially fighting. Uh, Jack Hermanson. I think Jacare Souza is going to be the fight. Maybe Jacare is not going to be in a position to turn this down because he is coming off a loss now. And I'm not saying that Jared Cannonier is favored to win that fight. He'll be the underdog. But 
Cannoneer is improving exponentially, Kenny. He's devoted his life to this. He's a student of the game. John Crouch certainly is a good jujitsu guy to have in your corner. And I think he's just getting good direction. He's now training full-time and not working. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see. We've seen Hermanson and other guys really take a quantum leap at 85. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how far Cannoneer can take it potentially. Yeah, absolutely. I think what, he was training in Alaska before. Not exactly your mixed martial arts hotbed, no disrespect right, to Alaska, right. but they, they just don't have a, a, a whole lot of gyms over there and a whole lot of experience. I think him making the move to MMA lab to the MMA lab in Arizona uh, has been uh, great for him. Uh, getting the exposure to all those other fighters that are training, getting ready for fights uh, and all the knowledge over there has really helped him. Uh, and I agree. He is getting better. He's only going to get better. Uh, and he's picked the right weight class as well, man. Just so powerful and strong there. Speaking of only getting better, how about Alexander Volkanovsky? Unanimous decision winner over Jose Aldo, 30 to 27 times three. And, you know, my colleagues, our friends, Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz, kind of feel like Volkanovsky fought the perfect fight, and I would agree. Uh, not much in terms of offense from Jose Aldo, and, and I don't know if he was 100%. He certainly seemed to be when we sat down with him on Thursday, Kenny. How much credit does Volkanovski deserve for the the way he thought he fought the fight, and and your thoughts on, on Jose Aldo obviously not keeping what was some pretty significant momentum going? You want to learn how to beat Jose Aldo? Volkanovski uh, really just fought the perfect game plan, executed it perfectly. Um, you know, I I do feel though, you know, and 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 this was. Uh, a big problem for Aldo heading into this. Uh, Volkanovski, you knew he was not going to quit. He was not going to slow down. He was not going to stop moving forward. And for Jose Aldo, you know, after that, you know, eye poke that happened that I didn't think was so bad, I, I immediately, I, I went back and, and wanted to see the replay. I was waiting for the replay. We saw it. It wasn't really that bad of an eye poke. That concerned me when Jose Aldo asked for that time off because mentally he lost the fight at that point. Mm. He questioned himself with Volkanovski and said, you know, I'm going to need a little bit of time here and, and try to figure out what I'm going to do here against Volkanovski. Volkanovski was ready to go. That's why, you know, sometimes when you get the eye pokes and it's not that big of a deal, you see certain fighters – um, they'll be like, screw it. Let's go. Let, let's go right back into this. I'm ready to fight. Other guys, when they're stopping, sometimes, obviously, and a lot of times, it's because they're genuinely hurt. Uh, they cannot see. I didn't see that body language from Jose Aldo like like he really couldn't see out there. For me, it was, I'm going to take a little break because I can. Um, I need a little breather. I need to stop the momentum here from this juggernaut from Australia, Volkanovsky. And... Um, it, it, he lost the fight mentally. He did not want to be out there against Volkanovski. His volume slowed down. Mentally, he seemed like he checked out. It was Volkanovski uh, with that gameness, with that high-pressure uh, style that just was taken at Jose, to, to, uh, Jose Aldo. And uh, again, Aldo's takedown defense was superb. But striking-wise, he just didn't know what to do against Volkanovski. And, and that was the big issue. Volkanovski has said that he knew from the first day he stepped in an MMA gym that he could be special, right? And he says that humbly, and he was absolutely right. Everybody he spars is essentially twice his size. Legendary gas tank that 
probably only Max Holloway in this division can compete against. Will it be Max Holloway next is the question, right? 17 consecutive wins for Volkanovski, 7-0 and in the UFC. He just beat the number one contender. I know Frankie Edgar is campaigning for the title fight. He is coming off a win. I believe Cub Swanson was his last win. But for Alexander Volkanovski, Kenny, I would think, Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo, back-to-back 7-0 and in the UFC. For me, the Aussie Volkanovski is really hard to deny. I believe his next fight will be for the featherweight title. You know, um, listen, I, I think those are the only two candidates to fight Max Holloway at this point. Those are the only two guys you can consider, whatever whatever the history is with Frankie Edgar. You know, um, I, I think for Volkanovski, though, he has to be... Um, the leading candidate for me. You look at his consistency, the level of competition, the way that he's going out there and doing it, the fact that he's a unique challenge stylistically to someone like Max Holloway, um, I think makes him the candidate. Now, I picked Aldo to win that fight. I thought Aldo's experience was going to be the difference, his ability to stop the takedowns. I thought his volume was going to be on point. That was not the case. Volkanovski was the guy uh, who kept the pace on him, who backed him up in Brazil, by the way, uh, and and beat the former champion. So I think Volkanovski has to be the guy that you got to put in there. But certainly the legend Frankie Edgar deserves a shot as well. I just don't think over someone like Volkanovski. I think Volkanovski, yeah, has just put too good a body of work on paper. So Frankie got knocked out by Brian Ortega March 3rd, 2018. And then he turned around quickly, if you recall, and fought Cub Swanson April 21, 2018, and did beat him. So it has been uh, over a year since Frankie Edgar did compete, but the last one uh, was a W. All right, good stuff on UFC 237. Hope we didn't shortchange anybody. Congratulations to all the other winners, but we got to spin it forward. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so we teased last week that after 200 episodes, we would be tweaking our main event challenge a little bit. Uh, We have carved out a more regular role on the show for a guy who I think is richly deserving, in my mind, Ian Parker, former MMA manager, founder of Cage Hero. Uh, So he's going to be making most of the head-to-head picks against Ken Flo moving forward. But before we get to Ian, uh, I just want to read a tweet from one of our loyal listeners, Marcus McGahee, who wrote in. I just want to say the main event challenge is probably my favorite segment. I really hope you guys don't change it. I think it's a really cool way to get the fans involved. And frankly, it's a hallmark of the Anakin Florian podcast. So... For the last four years, spanning 200 episodes, as many of you know, we've had a different listener or MMA handicapper come on the show to make picks for my team against the flow. Uh, And that's, of course, how Ian came on our radar as well. Um, But that sort of methodology and doing it that way, there have been some challenges, right? Sometimes listeners haven't been reliable or flaking last minute on show day. Now, 80% of you who have done this for four years have been amazing, responsive, uh, and and did a hell of a job making the picks. But I also feel like this segment is a big part of the meat of this show, and I felt like there was a way to make it better, more efficient in terms of time, more consistent when it comes to the MMA handicapping that is going on. Uh, I know Ian wanted this role. And eventually, I think there are ways that we can certainly work the listeners back into the show, uh, doing a monthly live caller show, uh, maybe even just having a voicemail line so you guys can leave voicemails that are going to come on the air. Uh, But we're trying to make the show better, and that is certainly uh, why we are doing this. Um, So if you have thoughts on this news or you want to tweet on the air, I mean, fire away, at Anik Florian Pod, at Kenny Florian, John underscore Anik. But with us to make picks today. 
former MMA manager. He had one pro fight himself. You can look it up, by the way. The founder of Cage Hero, also the former director of ticket sales for the NHL's Florida Panthers. But more importantly, for our purposes, folks, this is a very, very sharp mixed martial arts mind, a good friend of the show, Ian Parker, now joins us live from the great state of Florida. Thrilled to have you, buddy. Sorry about the long intro, but I wanted to get through some of that. How are you? Oh, I'm great, man. I'm excited. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I will not let anyone down. We're going to make this show better. The first 200 episodes were amazing. I can't wait. Again, I thank you guys for uh, putting your faith in me. Let's go. No, we're excited to have you for sure. Uh, I'm glad somebody didn't scoop you up before we did. Although, I, Kenny, no, I don't like New York at all. We got Longo and Ian Parker, a little too much <laughs> New York for me. Uh, quick update on the standings. You know, we thought about Flo resetting the standings because Ian's coming on board, but but we're right. not going to do that. It's, what? It, was, it was 58 to 44. Good news for the Flo, though. You just continue to chip away, man. Three straight weeks you have won. You edge Gabe Hernandez four to three. So the lead continues to get shaved down, 61-48. UFC fight night, Dos Anjos versus Lee. Rochester, New York, it is wall-to-wall on ESPN+. First fight for us today, boys. Featured prelim women's bantamweight division where Sajara Eubanks now resides. She moves up from flyweight and missed weight for her last fight last year against Roxanne Mataferi. She is 2-0 in the UFC, but Ian, a plus-235 underdog here for her rematch with Aspen Ladd. Ladd, minus-275. Ian Parker, who do you like? So this fight, yeah, it's a rematch with Victor where Aspen won. Um, you know, Sajar Eubanks has been, you know, an interesting situation for the UFC. Obviously, the whole title shot taken away, but then not making weight, and then making weight, and then no one knowing what was really going to happen. I think this is a very interesting challenge for the first fight going up a weight class. Um, Aspen Ladd, they really like her. You know, she has shown us that evolution of each fight of how she's getting a little bit better here and there. I think her athleticism is going to be really the edge, or I'm sorry, the path to least resistance of the route to victory here. I think her striking is better than Sajara Eubanks. Um, you know, Sajara is a very good top jujitsu fighter. I don't really know if she's going to be able to get Aspen Light to the ground that easy. I, I do, if I had a pick, I'm surprised the odds are this, uh, far out, you know, this, this high of a spread, but I, I would go Aspen Ladd in this situation. I think she's going to grind out a decision. Um, I just, like I said, her, and Kenny and I talked about this uh, a couple of months ago, when it comes to the women's division at that point of the talent pool, it really comes down to who is further along in their athleticism and a little bit of their technicality, and I think Aspen Ladd has the edge here. Who's meaner? Well, they're both really mean. Ken Flo Aspen Lad, eight and one as an amateur with six finishes, seven and zero as a pro. Only time she failed to put somebody away was the first meeting with Sajara Eubanks. That was January of 2017. Lad two and zero in the UFC. Went over Tanya Evinger at UFC 229. Earned her a performance bonus. You like Lad as the prohibitive favorite, or are you going with Sarge? I, I gotta agree with uh, Ian here, based on the odds. You know, I, I was a little surprised that Sajara was such a big underdog here, but um, I, I think for a lot of the reasons that Ian already stated, uh, I, I like Aspen Lad here. I think she's not only the more athletic fighter, but also further along in her. Uh, you know, as far as a, a, being a technician out there, she's a better striker. Uh, I think she's going to be able to stop that takedown. If the fight stays on the feet, it should be Aspen, Aspen Ladd really picking Sajara apart from the outside. So uh, I think Aspen Ladd probably takes this. 
All right, next up, Phil, is not just a rematch, but a rare trilogy fight, especially when it doesn't involve a championship. Third meeting here between Charles Oliveira and Nick Lentz. Interesting that this actually came together. Uh, Dubronx, a huge favorite, in minus 350. Lentz coming back in the plus 290 range. You going Oliveira or Nick Lentz? I would actually love the opportunity to ask why they're doing this fight. I feel like Oliveira needs to be, we need to find out if he's ready for that top seven, I mean, not top five yet, because that division has got so much depth. But based on his last fight against uh, Tamer, you know, the one thing that really impressed me, again, was his striking. I think his striking is really starting to come along. I think he's really starting to understand his range, not rushing in, keeping his hands up, being a little bit more defensive. But he's really starting to put it all together. And this was the Oliveira we've been waiting for for a while. You know, that last fight was really, in my opinion, Obviously, we all expect him to tap guys out. His, his jiu-jitsu is phenomenal, probably one of the best overall in the UFC. But his striking really impressed me. He overcame a couple of the eye pokes in that fight. It's hard to picture Lentz being able, A, to submit Oliveira. I don't see it happening. B, I don't see him outstriking, although Lentz's striking has definitely gotten a little bit better. I think Oliveira, you got to go Oliveira in this one. I just don't see many paths to victory for Lentz unless he's able to drag this all three rounds and just grind it's too hard. I think Oliveira is just better everywhere, and I think it's just—I think it's time that after this fight, if Oliveira is victorious, we really push him into a top five fight or top seven fight and see what he's made of. Well, he's not even getting a top fifteen guy here, and I think with respect to Nick Lentz on the strength of a four-fight winning streak for Oliveira, with all four wins by submission, all earning performance bonuses, you thought he might get a top ten guy next. He likes to stay active. We know that. Kenny, at least statistically, Charles Oliveira is the most prolific submission artist in UFC history. Third meeting with Lentz, who also has some momentum. Big win for him last time out against Scott Holtzman. Who do you like in the third meeting, Charles Oliveira or Nick Lentz? You know, I think Oliveira is probably taking the fights that's going to allow him to hold that submission record for a long time. I think yeah. that's probably the, the, <laughs> yeah, the approach right now. He's taking those kind of fights. Um but uh, listen, no, I, I think he is dangerous with, with his submissions. There's no doubt about that. He's been proving it time and time again. He is getting better as a striker. Uh, I think he's getting more confident with his overall game, like Ian said. Um, I, I think for him, though, I think he is a little bit fragile, though, as far as you know his ability to take punishment. I just don't see Nick Lentz, though, being that guy who is going to put the hurt on him on the feet and on the ground uh, to really be that kind of a threat where you're going to be able to get Charles Oliveira out of there. I yeah. think Oliveira uh, wins this fight. First meeting between the two, 2011, no contest. Then 2015, Oliveira got the double bonus, 100K for a guillotine uh, in Goiânia, Brazil. All right, now we get to my favorite fight on the card at middleweight. Cara de Sapat. I could have probably pronounced that better. Antonio Carlos Jr., minus 185, the favorite here. The plus 155 underdog is the very tough Ian Heinish. You like this fight, Ian Parker? What do you think? I do like this fight more for Carlos Jr. than I do Ian Heinish, even though he's got that first name that, you know, kind of drew me to him right away. Ooh, I think Carlos Jr. is also kind of ready for the, you know, the, put it pretty this way. I love Carlos Jr.'s last, fi- last fight, his last couple of fights. I think it's another guy who is starting to put it all together. You know, another jiu-jitsu guy off the Ultimate Fighter show. He, he, you know, he had a couple of bumps, but now he's really, he's really, I think, coming in stride here. And I think it's, just interesting how his striking is starting to come along. He's fighting at a higher level IQ. He's not being as predictable. He's not telegraphing his shots. And he's starting to become a very intriguing fighter in this division that we'd love to see some new blood. I think for Ian Hunch, I think he's got time to 
develop. I, you know, so far he's been he's been solid. I just think this might be a little too much too soon. I'm going to go with Carlos Junior to be the better of the two rising prospects. Although, listen, Heinz is tough. He really is. I, I would have liked to see maybe someone else in that fight with Carlos Junior. Um, who exactly off the top of my head? I don't know. But I think Carlos Junior is just too well rounded in this fight. I think he's going to get this fight to the ground by using his striking, and I think he's going to win this one by submission. All right, so remember, Carlos Jr. did get the fight against Derek Brunson, but that went away because Derek Brunson got injured. So they did give him a top 10 fight. He also had a fight yeah, with Elias sense. Theodoro. Yeah. Elias Theodoro had a fight uh, with Shoeface that went away because because Shoeface got injured. So now he's been out a year, but he does have five straight wins, Kenny, four of them by submission. Heinish had a scheduled fight with Tom Breeze in March. That went away on fight day. Breeze withdrew. Heinish was livid, uh, but I thought he handled it well. Ken Flo, Ian Heinish, 12-1, beat Mutanchi in his UFC debut. He gets a step up here against Antonio Carlos Jr. Which way are you going? Uh, Heinish is a tough fighter. Listen, I, I don't think it's out of the question that he wins this fight. I do think, though, that Shoeface is getting much, much better, and I think this time off is going to allow him to really um, shore up his skills and, and get even more well-rounded, even more comfortable for this fight. Um, I, and, and I think ultimately he's going to utilize his strike and try to get this fight to the ground where he will have the advantage. Um, I agree with Ian here. No controversy. I'm, I'm going with Shoeface for the win. I've always felt that Shoeface was going to be something special, if not an MMA world champion. I guess we'll see. But I was with him, Ken Flo, traveling back from Australia when he lost to Dan Kelly in 2016. I was and there. So, yeah. yes, right. I thought so. That's why I sort of brought it up. So you remember he was, he was dejected, and but yet yeah. positive, And he, he just totally gassed and didn't handle the travel and some of the preparation as optimally as he would have liked. But now we fast forward three and a half years. I know he's been out a year, but guys won five fights in a row. So big opportunity for Shoeface this weekend against Ian Heinish. All right. Co-main event. So one of the other changes now moving forward. We're going to need the round and the method of victory on the co-main event. So a more opportunity here for some points. Vicente Luque, the prohibitive favorite, minus 490 against Neil Magny, who is plus 390. Ian Parker, how about Vicente Luque? Four straight wins, eight of nine overall. Last seven wins by stoppage. What do you think about Luque here against the seasoned Neil Magny? So this fight, and I'm sure Kenny's going to probably agree with some of the points I have here is that with someone like Luke, this is somebody that, again, you know, he's starting to, his last fight kind of showed us some stuff. One, either he was way too confident and didn't respect Barbarina in itself, or he just had a, had a moment, had an adrenaline dump, and it just took over and was able to come through at the end. He should have ran through a guy like Barbarina, and it has nothing to do with Barbarina's lack of toughness or lack of skill. It's just Luke was just way more technical. His jiu-jitsu is better. You know, it's just, Barbarina is just that type of pressure fighter that just doesn't go away. And Kenny, I'm sure, could attest this. When you punch someone with everything you got 100,000 times and they're just smiling at you, sometimes your confidence and your whole demeanor kind of drops. And with someone like Neil Magny, who's taken a ton of punishment and has come back, especially against a fight like Hector Lombard, although that feels like it was 20 years ago, look at this last fight against Ponzi Video. He took everything Santiago had, and it took, what, four rounds to finally put him to bed? You know, Luque has all the ability to win this fight. He should win this fight. He needs, I, I'm hoping his cardio's there, and I'm hoping he really fights his game because Neil Magny is no slouch. Um, I'm going to take Luque. I'm going to say he's going to finish in the second round, but he better not sleep on Magny. I really hope he corrects what he did last time and uses that 
normal, high-level IQ that he usually has because this is a fight he should win. Neil Magny is a nice name to have on his resume to get him to that next level, uh, and that, that's where I am with this fight. All right, sounds like Vicente Luque, round two. You going TKO or submission? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, TKO. Sorry, I, I understand you're getting a drink there after your co-main event prediction. I did not mean to uh, to interrupt there. Uh, that fight, yeah, you know what? Barbarina. I needed need a little. I'm not like Clay Guido these days. Uh, I got that dad bod thing going on, so I needed a minute to drink water. You know, I apologize. What, what are you? You're <laughs> drinking just? Are you just drinking water right now? Yeah, just a little bit of water. Yeah, when, when we and, sit next to each other, we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll pass it around, but for now, it's definitely water and a cool Batman. Yeah, and, so we'll and that, that is another part of this, by the way. Ian Parker lives five minutes from my front door in South Florida, so the hopes is that when we go to video that Ian can actually come over to my makeshift studio here and we can actually chop it up in person. Um, Ken Flo, I hate that you turned off the video. I can't see you, but we're going to need a co-main event pick here. Luke Barbarina <laughs> earlier this year. Still one of the better fights, I think, in 2019. Your thoughts on Luke getting a lot of respect from Vegas here on the co-main event. John Anik, Ian Parker has shown his back, and I've taken it. I'm going for the rear naked choke here. I like Neil Magny. I think that he's going to utilize his reach to try to keep Luke on the outside. While Luke showed a, a toughness that is rare, even if for mixed martial arts fighters, um, in his last fight against Barbarena, to me, he just took way too much damage in that fight. If that was Neil Magny. I think Neil Magny beats him. I, I really do. Now, I don't know if that was him getting too emotional or he just has a complete disregard for defense uh, on the feet. But um, you can't you can't fight like that in elite level and expect to get wins. Uh, you know, it, he took a lot of damage. He was lucky to to get the win. And I think Luke, um, you know, to, to Ian's point, is a technical fighter. He is a dangerous guy. But you can't fight like that like he did against Barbarina. Uh, he he would not get the win against Anil Magny. I think Magny has an ability to really frustrate guys, especially with that very long reach. I think he uses his footwork, his ability to stop takedowns uh, to keep this on the feet. He might even hit some takedowns to get on top of Luque uh, at the end of some rounds. And I think he wins this by decision. I'm going with the underdog here, Magny, for some points. Give him to me, Neil. How about Ken Flo? Neil Magny, plus 390 by decision. All right, main event. Kevin Lee, minus 120. Rafael Dos Anjos, minus 110, which makes him the underdog for our purposes. First UFC appearance at welterweight for the Motown Phenom. I actually couldn't find, Kenny, any previous welterweight appearances at all for Kevin Lee, uh, but maybe there's one in there. Uh, Ian, slight favorite here for Kevin Lee. We're going to need the round and the method of victory. Who wins the main event in Rochester, New York? Well, first off, I just want to point out, the last time Kenny got super confident in me showing my back, that was Anthony Pettis versus Stephen Thompson. <laughs> You're right. So I You're am right. purposely giving you my back. I still I can't that believe way. that happened. Right? I that's still a, can't believe that one. happened. <laughs> number two, all right, Neil Magny's last fight. I just want to do a little quick rebuttal. Neil Magny's last fight against Pons Vibio. If you're telling me that man has not taken a shit ton of damage compared to the amount Luke has, then I'm, con I'm concerned. Because to your point, like I said, and I agree with you, that if Luke fights the way he did against Barbarina, Magny's a different fighter. But when it comes to damage, dude, Magny's taking it. But anyway... Take my back. I'm not getting choked on that one. Um, all right, so moving on to the main event. This is interesting, man. Kevin Lee going up to 170, and I, and I think this is a very uh, deep end of the pool for him to jump into, but I kind of also like it because Rafael Dos Anjos is another guy from 55, you know, in, in the 70 range. So it's not like he's fighting one of these bigger 70-pounders. 
Um, and I don't think that speed is going to be an issue. You know, it's, it's really going to be what Kevin Lee, we're going to see. And this is a really tough fight to pick. This is almost a coin flip. What, what I'm going to go based on here is I'm going to go based on cardio. I'm going to go based on the offensive wrestling of Kevin Lee. I don't think that Javier Dos Anjos' striking is going to cause Lee as many problems. Um, and I don't think Dos Anjos is going to be able to take Kevin Lee down so easily. Uh, I think Kevin Lee is going to be hungry since that fight with Iaquinta. And with Dos Anjos, you know, we just, we're seeing, we're not seeing the same once uh, dominant that Joe Rogan called the best lightweight in the world anymore. I think this is going to be the fight where we're going to either see Kevin Lee really succeed or be really confused and have to go back to 55. I'm going to go Kevin Lee by decision. Kevin Lee by decision. Did you just get out of your car in the middle of your segment? I might have. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> fucking guy getting out of the car here in the beep. Thankfully, your audio sounded pretty crisp on that transition because on these cell phones, man, doing radio, you got to fucking stay stagnant, man. You know how much love I got for you, but this is show one. I'm in a quiet place. Out of your I got car. some solid AirPods. I'm ready. <laughs> Kid's fucking getting out of his car for a segment. Unbelievable. All right, Ken Flo. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Lee, Rafael Dos Anjos. Flo, I read today, RDA, he has a titanium-infused jaw, 20 screws, four plates in his jaw, Broke it in the Clay Guida fight way back yes. in the day. He claims that this jaw uh, has broken a few hands in the UFC. Anthony Kwani among them. Um, Kevin Lee's dropped two of three, RDA two in a row. I kind of like that backdrop, Kenny, because I think this fight just is huge for both guys. For RDA, it's three straight losses. For Kevin Lee, it's three in his last four if he loses. Which way are you going, kid, in the main event? Oh, you know what? Um... Listen, I, I think Kevin Lee is definitely uh, an interesting fight for Rafael Dos Anjos. I, I, I do think, though, that Dos Anjos has faced uh, better wrestlers, uh, better strikers in, in his career. I, I think that Kevin Lee um, at 170 pounds is still an experiment. I, I, I don't know how he's going to do against a guy like a Rafael Dos Anjos, who is going to be the bigger man out there. I, I, I do think that Dos Anjos is going to be way more dangerous on the feet. Uh, Kevin Lee's going to have to be careful there. I think Kevin Lee really needs to rely on his wrestling here to get it done against Dos Anjos. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get it done uh, here at 170 for five rounds. Uh, the fight against Iaquinta concerned me a little bit, and uh, I, I think Dos Anjos' experience and his striking is going to be the difference. Uh, I think Dos Anjos gets it done. Uh, let's go with RDA... Decision. RDA by decision for Ken Flo. I know you hate making picks, but I love listening to him. And that's an underdog play, by the way, uh, on Rafael Dos Anjos against Kevin Lee. I love that you guys disagreed on the main event. Uh, on Twitter, you can find Ian Parker at Parker Cage Hero. Also, that same handle on Instagram. Ian, appreciate the time, buddy. We'll talk to you again next week. And just don't forget in all of this that it, that it is not Team Parker. You're still representing Team Anik, okay, bud? <laughs> Uh, listen, uh, for the first few fights, I was concerned that Kenny and I were on the same team. I was getting really... I know, I know. <laughs> and, and just for the record, and I, I'm going to earn this spot, at some point, we are going to make Kenny pick first on one fight. I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I will, will. I, I, I will earn that. I will earn that opportunity. All right, that's a good oh, idea. Man. Maybe for the co-main next week. Ian Parker. You're going you, down, buddy. Ian. Talk to you soon. See you, dude. Bring it, Kenny. Let's do it. All right, one quick thing on the pronunciation of the week from last week. Uh, so we're going to give TJ the win. So he was 1-6. and six. He's now 10-2-5. and five. So uh, Lauriano Starpoli is just a weird name to say, and you hear how comfortable I am saying it now because 
I'm paid to say this name correctly on Saturday, not on Monday, right? Like TJ's paid to say this name correctly on Monday during the pronunciation of the week. I get the whole week, but I want to say because a listener pointed it out, my twin brother agreed. They felt like TJ deserved better. Uh, we're going to give you the two and five. The other thing some listeners suggested, TJ, was that we let you listen to the file just once beforehand. And I think there's some fairness in that too, right? Because to keep your record, right? And not let you have a chance to hear the file. It's like for a guy like Lauriano Staropoli, you're just shooting from the hip. Like just I think guessing. that's bullshit. I think that's bullshit. <laughs> Kenny, you're the only loser on this show, okay? <laughs> all right. I'm gonna win and you're gonna lose the main event challenge and we're all gonna laugh at you. So just uh, I, I, deal with it. I strongly disagree. So the pronunciation of the week this week, we might as well do it. TJ's two and five. Um since if you have the file ready, uh basically his name is not Kevin Lee, and he's fighting in the main event, TJ. Who am I talking about? Rafael Dos Anjos. Correct. You're three and five. Congratulations. Now, I don't know if you can play the file, but do you have the file? Rafael Dos Anjos. Okay. Ha so. Rafael Dos Anjos. That, that's not what I said. I understand, but I, Kenny's here for this reason. Yes. So that is the Rio de Janeiro Correct. accent. Rafael Deutsch on Jewish, okay? So we don't use that particular specific Rio de Janeiro accent. Obviously, we've talked with Javi and or Javi, I should say, and Rafael Dos Anjos is, is what he goes by, and, and that's sort of the way it is. But, Kenny, a lot of the fighters, you know, Moraes or Deutsch on Jewish, it's, uh, right? It's the Rio regionalism. Is that what that is? That is absolutely correct. It'd be like uh, saying, my name is Peter, and you're like, his name isn't Peter, uh -huh, yeah. it's Peter. Right, and then right. The, but the Boston accent, right? I right, changed it. It's the exact same thing with the Rio accent. Yeah, right. There you go. My name's fucking Thomas. No, so, your name's <laughs> Thomas. <bro. laughs> oh, all right. So uh, TJ's three and five. How about that? You lose a loss and pick up two wins, and you're That's right ridiculous. back on that. I know. Well, that's hey. ridiculous. I'm I don't get any of those. I don't get any of those. Give me's. Come on. I'm calling it a day. This is a great productive day. I'm I'm going home. And you're also you're going to plug your production company when we get out of here, too, which is very exciting. Uh, but no, my twin brother never listens to the podcast, but he went and ran five miles today and he called and said, hey, man, stop giving TJ such a hard time. Well, now he's three and five. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Before we end today, uh, I want to dedicate today's show to the International Boxing Hall of Famer, uh, the late, great. Harold Letterman, HBO's unofficial ringside score. Kenny, obviously you know this man and his tones well. Passed away over the weekend, 79 years old. Just a really special guy who had a special role in boxing, and rightfully so. Uh, he used to come on my, my old boxing show, the Mouthpiece Boxing Show, countless times, always willing to sit down with a couple of nobodies, always engaged with us, always genuine, asking about us. Um, unmistakable sound to his voice, just a, a really unique, great man, and uh, I was really sorry to get off the air Saturday night and hear the news, Ken Flo, that, uh, that Harold Letterman is gone. Okay, Jim, I got uh, it five rounds uh, to three right now for Pacquiao. Uh, uh, just uh, an absolute legend. He will be missed. And uh, how about that for an impact? That you, you hear the guy maybe just a few times throughout a fight, but he was one of the more memorable voices and personalities during a boxing fight, and you only heard him for a few seconds. It, it, just a, an amazing guy, a, a true legend of the boxing game, and, and absolutely just listen to a boxing fight without him saying okay Jim oh. it's just it doesn't have the same kind of energy and same kind of pop 
uh, I was very sad to see that news. Yeah, for all of us boxing fans, it's it's unmistakable. Okay, Jim, you know, three rounds to two, pause, Mayweather. You know, and yeah. uh, it's interesting because, and who better to imitate him than you? Uh, but a lot of people like when there are MMA scorecards on a broadcast, right? We yes. do not require our analysts to give scores after rounds. And I think HBO sort of had the right answer. You don't want someone who's calling the fight to give that score. And some people have recently suggested, oh, you gave Trevor Whitman uh, a role on the broadcast. Why not have Whitman give a score? Uh, and I think there's actually some merit to it. Obviously, in boxing, I think it has more teeth and more meat because you're talking about tw 12 rounds and a sport that seemingly has a lot more controversy. Uh, and wayward judges' decisions than MMA does. If you can believe that, it really does. But uh, love me some Harold Letterman, and thankfully he he went into the Hall of Fame a few years ago. But uh, man, it's a huge loss for uh, for not just boxing but but humanity as well. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you to our guests. Ray Longo and Ian Parker, TJ DeSantis, of course, at the controls. Thanks to every last one of you for listening and just being so damn loyal and supporting this show over the last four years. Tell your friends to listen and subscribe as well. With that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. We will talk to you again in less than a week. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.